This episode is brought to you in part by B&H Publishing Group. Sam Alberry's new kids' book, God's Go-Togethers, provides a helpful foundation for explaining why God made men and women as a special pair to complement each other in marriage and beyond. Learn more at godsgotogethers.com. In this post-COVID world, you might think you're in a church of 55 or 60, and in reality, you're a church of 125, 150. Hi, I'm Carl Vaders, and welcome to the Church Lobby, Conversations on Faith and Ministry. My guest for this episode is Chad Brooks, and we're talking about how many people are you actually pastoring? That sounds like an easier question to answer than it actually is. Chad is a vocational pastor. He's a blogger at RevChadBrooks.com, and he's the host of the Productive Pastor podcast. And he's got a real interesting take on trying to figure out exactly how many people we're pastoring now. Hint, it doesn't necessarily relate to the number of people in your main service on Sunday as it used to. So in this episode, we talk about why church size matters, but not in the way you think it does. We talk about how to determine how many people you're actually pastoring, since the way this is calculated is really changing a lot, especially in the last couple of years. We also talk about why the main weekend service may no longer be the wide end of your church funnel anymore, where most of the people come through for the first time. And we talk about how to gauge how many people you're actually pastoring because it's different than it ever used to be. Don't forget to stick around when the interview is done. I'll come back with an overview of the content and some practical takeaways. Well, Chad, good to have you with us on the podcast today. Welcome. Welcome, Carl. It's, uh, it's awesome to see you again. It's been a while. It has been. I've been on your podcast, The Productive Pastor, and it's been uh, five years. We were just chatting before we yeah. started recording. It's been longer than I thought. I think it pandemic was in the middle of it, and there's this yeah. blank zone right there that either compresses <laughs> or expands time. <laughs> I, I tell people that those uh, those 18 months are really about 18 years. Yeah. Yeah. Although when you're looking back, it feels like 18 minutes because it was like you, when you told me it was before pandemic, it's like, it doesn't seem that long because sometimes when you're reflecting on it, like I said, it it contracts time as well. It's a weird, weird thing, but Hey, I'm glad to have you on today. The title of my podcast, obviously for those listening is the church lobby. And the idea behind it is that every once in a while, we'll just have a conversation like one that might come up in a church lobby. And this one feels more like that than most because many of the others are based on a book or whatever, and it's kind of standard podcast stuff. But this one is really based on, you can imagine this conversation having taken place in real life. So what happened was I wrote this article. I put out a Twitter stream about it. You commented on the Twitter stream. I came back to you going, hey, that's a pretty interesting way of looking at it. And then as we looked at it, I thought, hey, let's talk more about that. So it kind of feels like, hey, you and I said, hey, did you read the latest thing about such and such? And now we're going to have a chat about this whole idea here just to bring everybody up to speed. So I wrote this article called What the Drop in Attendance Frequency Means for Pastors. And the particular tweet from it that you commented on 
said this, you may be pastoring more people than you think. Typical attendance used to be, we have 75 on a normal Sunday, but if everyone showed up, it could be 100. Now, if a church averages 75 in attendance, you're probably pastoring 130 to 150 people, not 100. You then chimed in on that helpfully with, I routinely tell and help pastors to figure out their active adults outside of Sunday attendance. Talk to one today that sees 180 in attendance, but we objectively got close to 500 yeah. better at his church 12 times a year. So let's talk about this yeah. whole idea. First of all, why does church size matter? Why are we at even having this conversation before we get to some of the practical stuff? Yeah. So, you know, for me, and I've served just in the gamut of experience in my ministry career, you know, like I told you before we got going, I grew up, my dad just retired as a senior pastor of a Southern Baptist church of 2,500 or so post pandemic mm -hmm. this past December, he'd been there on staff since 1977. Wow. Yeah. So start off <laughs> youth minister. And when I was a kid, they transitioned to like a four year succession plan. They became the senior pastor when I was 18 and I'm 43 and he just retired from that role. So I grew up like in big, huge, like Southern Baptist, like six flags over Jesus model. Yeah. And then when I went to college, started going to small churches. And then when my ministry career started, just worked across the gamut of church sizes. You know, for me, Tim Keller's work on church size dynamics was huge when I was planting 12 years ago, uh, because churches behave very, very differently based off of their size. We've always yeah. kind of have known that, but post-pandemic, it's even more important to understand yeah. because I don't know about you, but the church I was serving in 2020, when it locked down March of that year, we didn't come back until June. And we were thinking we were going to see pretty much what our attendance was in February of 2020. And so with losing any restrictions, all this kind of stuff, we actually thought we were going to have seven worship services a weekend mm. to follow the, the guideline and restrictions. And so- you know, wow. thankfully, my staff and some of our leaders said, Chad, let's hold our horses a little bit. Let's do three services that first Sunday we come back. This is because for those of us who are, are forgetting about it, we had to have people separated by wide oh, yeah. distances. Yeah. So you just yeah. couldn't put as many people in the room as you could before. No. Yeah. No, we couldn't. And the room that we were in was we were in a temporary space between being a portable church and we were building a sanctuary. And we could hold about 170 people in this room. Uh, because of Louisiana restrictions, we could get roughly 30 in the room. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that's a drop. <laughs> so, you know, we come back that Sunday expecting to have 150, 160, 170 people. And total between the three services was 38. Whoa. So, so much of my thought about this idea of active adults was this crazy idea I had pre-COVID that was serving a young church plant full of people that were really mobile and traveled for work and farmed and all sorts of things. And were Sunday morning attendance, we learned wasn't the thing we should look at when we were looking at raising people up for leadership. Mm -hmm. uh, so we kind of developed a quick little formula to just run, you know, two or three times a year to understand if someone was actually really active in the church, but because of their life could only show up for worship like once a month. Uh, we quickly turned to that same idea and thinking post COVID because we realized our church is drastically different on Sunday morning than it is from who we're actually serving and who I'm actually pastoring. Yeah. And so this whole idea about church size, you know, Keller's size dynamic article, one of the big things that's part of that is what are the roles and responsibilities of the pastor and the expectations of a pastor based off of the size of the church. 
in this post-COVID world, you might think you're in a church of 55 or 60. And in reality, you're a church of 125, 150. Those are very different expectations yeah. of the pastor. Yeah. Like I, I, I even have a friend of mine, you talk about that jump. You know, since I tweeted that out, I was working with the church uh, here in Louisiana a couple of weeks back, and they're running about 330 on Sunday morning. And we went in and did the work to determine their active adults. And this is a church that in the mid-90s was running 1,500 on Sunday morning. There's a lot of congregational anxiety about their size, all mm. sorts of stuff. And I realized they're still bringing in a massive amount of money that they didn't even know how much they were bringing in. I mean, they're bringing in a couple million dollars a year. They did the work to figure this out, and they have close to 1,200 people that are active adults in their church, but they're seeing 3.30 on Sunday morning. So think yeah. about the pastor's role and responsibility in that situation. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It changes. This is one of the – everything's inside out from uh, – I'm third-generation pastor, so I'm soaked in this thing for, for a long time. And one of the things that is reversed, you talked about the finances, it used to be, and it was an absolute rule probably for centuries, that the money dropped first as the canary in the coal mine that people weren't yeah. happy. And then the Not people anymore. left. Yeah. Now it's, there aren't as many people showing up, but they may still be st sending in their financial support. It's inside. Yeah. Out. And I've, I've talked to church after church after church has experienced this thing. And it's, I, I mean, it's almost like the joke of, you know, pastoring the church would be easy. It wasn't for the people. And a lot of places we actually have all the money and fewer people. So we should be happy. I don't know, compared to at yeah. least compared to what we were saying before, obviously not because we want the people there. How does this change how we should be thinking about pastoring them now? Yeah. And, and I think that's a, it's a thing. And it's, it's kind of a few different ways. Number one, it's a way for the pastor to understand and to guide their schedule and their approach to ministry. Because like we've all had the Monday morning funk where, you know, we come home and we're like, oh my goodness, nobody was in church. Well, you know, there's, there's a ways that you can objectively look at, no, this is who's active in your church. And, you know, it stinks to see, you know, the median size, what's the, the, the figure they give the median size church in the United States now is 65 people. Yep. Uh, the median size, the Lewis center, I'm United Methodist. So I kind of think in United Methodist world, the Lewis center came out with a report last week, the median size United Methodist church is 38. So like you come home and you're like, man, I only had like 27 people in worship this Sunday morning. But in reality, if you don't know how many people are actual, actually in your church, the pastor is going to be in a funk. The church yeah. might be in a funk as well. But then also the expectations for how the pastor expects himself to, to lead, how their church expects him to lead. But then also in some ways, the pastor is a pace setter. Because if the, if the church is actually 60, 70, 80 people, and then the pastor's thinking they're 25 and the church is thinking they're 25, then what's going to end up happening is sooner or later, the church is going to be a church of 25. Okay. So how do you start making that mental shift? Because the physicality of how many people are or are not in the room is just, it's visceral. It's so in our face. How do we retrain ourselves to know I'm actually pastoring more people than this. And the number of people in the room is not necessarily the sign of the size of the church that it used to be. There's an emotional psychological shift. And then there's a practical way to do this. You know, the okay. emotional psychological is depending on your tradition. I really think the Sunday morning worship service is no longer the top of the funnel. So if we think mm -hmm. back to that old school church growth model, that Sunday morning is where people are going to enter into. It's the basic common denominator of the church. Right. That's just not the truth anymore. So I think that some of the psychological shift is to move the role of Sunday morning further into the discipleship pathway 
almost. Okay. And so that's one way to think about from a practical perspective. And this is what I do. Like when I, in that tweet, when I said, I help pastors do X, this is what we do. And it's depending on the size of your church, but it really comes down to three objective metrics. Cause if you think about it, even Sunday morning attendance is rather subjective, right? Yeah. Like a spouse can drag you, a parent can drag you. You can go out of some sort of moral ideological obligation, like all these sorts of things. So even the Sunday morning attendance, it's still a very valuable number, but it's pretty subjective. The objective metrics that I determine this with, and I've been doing this for, you know, six to seven years to kind of follow in this logic. And then, like I said, it became very, very helpful in my own church post pandemic. And then now for the last two years, I've been working with a lot of churches understanding this. And so it's three things. One, it's who is in a discipleship system at your church. Second, who is serving? in and through your church. And then third, who is giving to your church? Okay. So who's in the discipleship system? Who's serving? Who's giving? Giving. And and, you you get to broadly define, you get to define what those things are. But, you know, if people say normal church attendance now is once every six weeks, I typically run that number. Let's do this every six weeks. Because that's the thing. It's like when pastors, it's kind of about that that emotional thing. To us, we live and breathe the church. Yeah, And so, of course, you're going to be here every time the doors are open or every Sunday morning, that sort of a thing. But it's actually really disingenuous for, for us to put that on somebody when somebody says, hey, you're my pastor. This is my church. I'm here once every month, once every two months, that sort of a thing. Okay. You know, to that person, we are their pastor. This is right. my church. And so it's it's a difficult thing. I think that just happens through like the Holy Spirit and prayer. To break okay. that mental model. Yeah. But yeah. then the second thing is, is, you know, like what are those opportunities? And that, that'll spit out an objective number. Whereas, you know, two or three, four years ago, a church of 50 or 60 might not need some sort of church database or church management system. You know, now, and we could talk about this later on, so much of these church size dynamics, I think a lot of it's about communication, not necessarily programming anymore. Okay. And that's the fact of the matter is if, if you've got a, a diverse congregation, especially age-wise, communication is going to be the most important thing. And so that church database is needed to be focused on communication, not necessarily membership organization. But no, you can set up your database to run these figures for you almost every day. Yeah. Walk me through an an example of that happening so that we can, so that I can picture it in my head, because I don't know if I'm picturing it in my head or not accurately. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it comes in. So we walk into a situation, we say, Hey, like we're seeing 75 people in worship. And it's uh, just kind of an average normal. The Sunday morning main service, weekend service, whenever that is. Okay. Yeah, the Sunday, the, t- sun, the total Sunday morning attendance. So we're seeing 75 people. Like I said, I'm in Methodist world. A lot of Methodist churches, even small ones, have a contemporary service and a traditional service. So they're right. going to have two services on Sunday. Hey, so what we're going to do, we're going to take attendance. You're seeing 75 people. You're kind of bummed about that because pre-COVID, the church was 200. Uh, so then, so we'll come in like, all right, the first thing we're going to do, and this is the thing that every single church typically has the ability to do this is I'm going to say, okay, we need to make a list of every single person who's given to the church's general fund in the last six months. Because unless they are super, super old school, they're going to have that information. Yeah. And even the old school, they still want the tax deduction. So they're going yeah, to they're going to want that. Yeah. Like I'm currently serving a rural church that averages about 22 in worship. Right. They keep that data. And so that's gotcha. kind of a starting point. And then we come and say, all right, so we might not be keeping attendance at things, but for the next six weeks, we're going to keep attendance at things. And so it's as simple as saying, you know, all of your Sunday school classes or your small groups, your discipleship, you know, anything that you kind of define as that sort of a thing, let's just keep attendance at it. So we can go old school paper sign-in sheet. I'm a big fan of planning center. So like, let's set up groups and give right. your group leaders access to keep your attendance that way, that sort of a thing. 
And then the same thing, volunteering. Like if you're volunteering at the church in any way, shape or form, whether it's Sunday morning, whether it's through the food pantry, whether it's through, you know, kids ministry, any sorts of thing, we're going to put sign in sheets because you're typically having to coordinate. And that one's a little bit easier because someone's having to coordinate those volunteers anyway. And a lot of times they'll have some sort of a, a spreadsheet schedule or anything, but let's just keep these numbers for six weeks. Like you're already keeping track of who's giving. For these six weeks, let's keep up with everybody who's in any sort of a discipleship system. And then let's keep up with anybody who is serving at the church. And if it's a smaller church, if we're talking a normative size church, right? you probably can have somebody on Sunday morning keeping not just your head count, but like a tick, a check pad of this yep. person's here, this person's here, this person's here. Because that information can also be interesting as well. And so we'll come into six weeks, say, what's what we're, we're tracking? We're tracking you know, attendance, we're tracking, not, not sorry, we're, we're tracking discipleship, we're tracking serving attendance, and we're tracking who's giving to the church. Right. And in smaller, like I'm coaching a lot of Methodist churches right now that have just recently had to go through the disaffiliation vote, have lost people, they've got new pastors, are kind of in this state of flux. In yeah. those scenarios, they're actually keeping names on Sunday attendance too, because folks have been in and out of the church for six months because of that chaos. But what's so interesting is, so Church of the Resurrection in Kansas City, it's the largest United Methodist church in the country, prior to COVID, was still passing the old school attendance pads. Really? People physically, yeah, until uh, they would have like 250 senior adults descend on the campus on Monday morning, and they would process. That, that was going to be my first question. How many people were counting? <laughs> they, they, they had a massive, yeah. massive volunteer. And one, a good friend of mine is one of their campus pastors, and me and him have had this running conversation, text conversation for years about how the attendance pads were actually really effective for them. And it's like one of those old school ways that's out there. Hmm. But I mean, so much of it comes back to that giving, serving, discipling, that three objective data point. Like my friend, I told you that we're running like a 320, 330s and got almost 1200 people, you know, him and four of his staff members just sat down with an entire membership list and a highlighter and just went through their mass. That's how they got that number. So you're keeping track of the weekend service attendance. You're, you're keeping track of the individuals in the discipleship system serving and giving, and you're doing it by name so that you're trying not to duplicate people. Yeah. Yeah. And then after you've gathered these for six weeks, then you just simply go through all those four lists. You delete any repeats and that gives yeah. you an idea. Yeah. And honestly, I would not, unless you're in a system where engagement is of a, an emergency level priority, I wouldn't necessarily worry about the Sunday morning attendance names. Oh, okay. Because for me, what that active adult number and then that Sunday attendance number, you can then begin using those as metric points to divide almost, if that makes oh, okay. sense. So it's kind of yeah. like, hey, you want to think about attendance or work on attendance. You're running 30 people in Sunday morning and you find out you have 45 active adults that's 67%. So your Sunday morning attendance is 67% of your active adults. Right. And you go in and work on your engagement and this kind of stuff. And this is also, I mean, there's visitors, your church, all this sort of thing as well, but you're really wanting to work on that engagement. What I love about this, every six weeks, you run these numbers again and you find out like, Hey, you might come up with the next week, you know, worship attendance is 35. Our active adults is 47. So what you've seen then is, You've grown that to 74%. Yeah. If you keep track of this then on a regular basis, then you've got something to pay attention to in addition to or other than the physical people in the room on Sunday, because 
people physically in the room because of infrequent attendance, which is where this whole thing started was my article about that, because of their infrequent attendance, it is less accurate a measure of who considers it their home church than it ever used to be. Exactly. And now a short break to talk about something else. If you like the content you're hearing, here are two things you can do for us. First, forward this podcast to a friend. Second, consider becoming a financial supporter through Patreon, Venmo, or PayPal. Just go to carlvaders.com support. For as little as $3 a month, you can help us put these resources into the hands of the ministries that need them the most. Our support link is in the show notes. This episode is brought to you by Our Daily Bread Ministries, a global media organization that makes the life-changing wisdom of the Bible understandable and accessible to all. As a part of that mission, Where You're From is a podcast for those who believe it's important to stop and listen before we speak. Join us on each episode as we ask another Christian thought leader, Where You're From, and discover how their life experiences and expertise even if we may disagree with something they say, offers us important perspectives worth thinking about. To see our list of guests, visit whereyou'refrom.org today. That's where, Y-A, from, dot O-R-G. I'm Russell Berry, reminding you that it's not just about where you're at, but it's also about where you're from. Some of this also comes back is when you really start going kind of deep down this model, uh, the last full-time church I served before I went by vocational, there was a point in time we were running about, this is post-pandemic, we're running about 135, 140 uh, in worship. We understood this active adult line really well, had like 185 active adults. And so we ended up digging into it and realizing, actually, no, our attendance wasn't that high. Our, atten- our attendance was like 90. So we went through, the staff sat down and made a list, an informal list of the people we know are in worship every single Sunday. And we came up with like 50 people. But our active adults were 170, 180. We realized it took 130 adults to make up those other 40 each week. And what's fascinating about this then is what you're counting is actually more important than attendance. Because we all know there are some churches that have large attendance on Sunday, but it might be because it's a famous pastor or because it's a landmark building or something that attracts attracts looky-loos. And yeah. somehow, and, and we think the church is growing and maturing when in fact it's just attack, attracting bigger crowds. But when you're tracking serving, discipleship, and giving, you're tracking actual involvement then. And, yeah. Yeah. So, so much of when I started thinking this way, like in 2017, 2018, was based off, remember, that's back when Carrie Newhoff was on this big engagement focus. Right. With his podcast. So Engagement a lot of this is the would, new attendance. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of this was me back when I was in like this, like fast, rapid growing church plant that at the time was just the cool place to come to. And our active adults were smaller than our Sunday attendance. And then oh, you know, COVID and then COVID yeah. flipped it completely. Cause that's also the whole thing is if you invest into like when I'm coaching churches through this, what I call the full meal deal, is coming right. into planning center and using it for all of the different modules. So this data is automatically kept, but then you can begin communicating to people specifically with how they choose to engage or how they choose to not engage. Right. And so then think about it. You're coming into 
like a capital campaign because you need to raise money for a building addition or that sort of a stuff. How you communicate with people who might be atten- active, who might be attending Sunday morning, but don't fall in those three categories, right, would be really different from how you communicate to people who are giving and serving and discipling. Because right. what it also does is it helps you understand, like, if you have a person who's doing all three of those things, that's a really dedicated and engaged member. Yeah. Even if their Sunday morning attendance is far more infrequent than it used to be because of their circumstantial yeah. changes. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And so that's what I did. This, this level of thought is something that I've been doing personally in my ministry since around 2018 or so. And there's been a handful of times where it has proven to be highly valuable. And now post-pandemic, two or three years after the fact, when most churches are finally realizing like, oh my goodness, this is normal now. And it has yeah. been normal for several years. I'm finding so many churches to where they're true engaged. And the thing is, it's not just the ancillary folks. The true engaged side of the congregation is yeah. 30% larger than what they're seeing on Sunday morning. Now, in really, really rural locations with churches that are primarily uh, senior citizens, I know baby boomers and silent generation, you'll see mm-hmm. this number smaller. Like I just ran the, the demographic numbers for my current part-time church I serve. We averaged 23 in worship for the last six weeks, and we averaged uh, 29 active adults. And that scenario, it's it's different. But like if you're in a, a, a medium-sized city, if you're serving a multi-generational congregation, all those sorts of things is where you're beginning to see this at minimum 30% larger. Yeah. And, and that's a huge thing to take into account. There is no way to simply take one idea and totally universalize it because nope. everything is so contextual. So what you're just talking about age, for instance, I know our congregation is a, a very young congregation. So my guess is if we did this, that we would find we would be one of those, you know, 150 on Sunday morning, but could be 450 to 500 maybe on these other three things. I, yeah. I'm, I'm just throwing numbers out randomly, but my guess is it's at least double what we're seeing on Sunday morning because you got young families, you've got teenagers, you've got 20 somethings in college and so on, whose schedules are simply much less consistent than the older generation. And so their attendance is going to be less consistent, even if they are fully committed to the church to the point where they're giving and or serving and or going through a discipleship system. Yeah, I could see that in our church, but in another place, it would be very different. In fact, I want to mention this because for the bonus content, what I want to talk with you about is an article that you wrote that touches on some of this. You wrote an article called Declaring Church Size and Why It Matters. And in it, you talk about Keller's breakdown, which is kind of the standard stuff of zero to 40 is storefront or or house church, 40 to 200 is small churches, et cetera. And then you talk about Tom Rainer's new stuff, uh, of how he's reconfigured that in some very different ways. But then you go to a different place entirely based on how people self-describe the size of their church. And the the range that happens there gets huge. And yeah. it affects how you pastor them because you might have one person in a church of a hundred who considers their church small, another person in a church of a hundred who considers their church medium, and another person in a different church of a hundred in a different place that considers their church to be a large church. And yes. because of those perceptions, you're going to lead and pastor them differently. So yeah. we'll hold that. We'll, we'll do about 10 minutes or so on that for the bonus material. So if you're listening now, and if you do not subscribe to our weekly email, just go to carlbaders.com slash subscribe. It's free. You'll get a, a newsletter every Friday. And in the newsletter will be 
the code that gets you the bonus material for all of the podcasts, including the bonus material that Chad and I are going to go over together. So really helpful stuff, a, a way of looking at it that I'd never seen before. So we'll, we'll put that into bonus material. And again, you can listen to it for free. If you are a regular donor, you get the link for that, but you, you can even get it for free by simply going to carlbaders.com slash subscribe. So let's move it to there. This is so helpful. Let's go to the lightning round to finish this podcast up. And then we'll, um, we'll find out how we, how folks can get a hold of you if they want more information and then we'll do the bonus stuff. So yep. lightning round, first of all, uh, what are the biggest changes you've seen in your field of ministry in the last few years and how have you adapted to it? Not that we haven't spent the last half hour talking about exactly that. <laughs> yeah. I think that, you know, some of those, like the biggest one of the things what we just talked about is understanding how church size is rapidly changed. That's the biggest one I have. And then the second one is I tell people a lot that I tend to take a step forward that's always deeply evangelistic and assumes the unchurched. And, you know, what I'm currently fascinated with right now is I can't think of his name right now, but someone coined the term the post-attractional Wesleyan movement. Where I kind of tend to focus on is that post-attractional is really like, you know, what does it mean to reach a generation that the Sunday morning experience is no longer that internal funnel, like that right. big, huge thing. And just thinking through, you know, what does that mean for the church the next 20, 30, 40 years has really been this understanding of what might we do differently if Sunday morning is no longer the big deal? Yeah. Interesting. I like that. Secondly, what free resource like an app or a website has helped you lately that you would recommend for small church ministry? Um. So, so a free resource for small church ministry, um, really and truly, I would say you know, Twitter is buzzing with people that are thinking yeah. through normal size church stuff right now. Yeah, or X as he's calling it. Yeah, X. Oh, Hopefully God. he I'm goes never... back to Twitter again because that's just the oddest thing. But I mean, anyway, this, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping <laughs> this is going to be a new Coke, old Coke thing. <laughs> no, right. Yes, please. The second thing is a cheap resource. And when I saw this question, it's like this is what it is. Is I read this book during the pandemic. And it rapidly changed the way that I did things. But is Daniel M's book, No Silver Bullets? Okay. It's, I mean, it's, it's maybe seven, eight, nine years old. But inside of that book, that book, he goes through the concept of input goals and output goals. Oh, I had never talks about how it up. so many times we focus on these output goals that are just aspirations. But these input goals are these kind of tactical, hands-on, objective things that we can work on that lead yeah. us towards this big stuff of like, I need my church to grow right. or, you know, we need that. So that, I mean, I refer folks to that book multiple times a week. We'll take a look at that. And all these uh, references, including planner center earlier and everything at planning center earlier, we'll put all in the show notes, including the original tweet stream that Chad commented on and everything. But for a second, I interrupted you when you were talking about Twitter to mention the X thing. And I didn't let you finish up your explanation as to why Twitter is a free resource to recommend for ministry. There are great conversations going on in Twitter right now. Eric Hoke and his whole idea of IHelpPastorsGetJobs.com. He has a ministry towards helping pastors who feel called to certain places that simply cannot financially support a pastor of helping yeah. them find marketplace jobs. So it's like the co-vocational conversation that happens. That's just one example. There's a lot of folks that are, yeah. they're, they're just, there's fantastic conversations going on. In Twitter I agree. Right now. You are the third or fourth podcast guest I've had on based on Twitter conversations. So th there's a lot happening. Now there's a lot of 
garbage in Twitter. Twitter yes. is a strange place. So if you're wanting to get on it, wondering how to, how do you curate it? So you're following good folks, start by following Chad and me, look at who we're following and the people we're following would be a good starting place to find out people for you to click and, and you to begin to follow, find people in ministry that you trust, follow them, and then follow some of their followers. That would yes. be my recommendation as a place to begin. Yeah. And I think so much of it's changed because I've been on Twitter since 2006. Uh, it used to be a place to share your links. Now it's a place to have conversations. Yeah. And so the people that are having great conversations, the, the, it's inside of those threads and those streams that there's so much to learn. It's not just, hey, wow, this person sends really good links. That's how I've, I've seen it change over the last few years. That I yeah. found it. I really appreciate it. And also it kind of ties into that. There's some awesome people doing great work on Substack right now. I've seen that coming up lately. Yeah. So, right, you know, my favorite person, there's two people I'd kind of shout out about that. Uh, one of them is Ryan Burge and all of his research about the nuns. N O N E S, I assume you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and so <laughs> Ryan is the, the, the social scientist and the demographic behind, I'm putting my Amazon to make sure I get it correct. You know, there's, there's a book that's coming out in the next, I think it comes out in a week and a half. But it'll be out by the time people are hearing this. Yes. Yeah. It'll be a couple months old by the time they're hearing this. The great de-churching, who's leaving, why are they going, and what will it take to bring them back? There's been a lot of great Twitter conversations around that. Ryan Burge is the data scientist okay. behind it. And when you're talking Substack, for those who aren't aware of it, it's kind of a, a blend between newsletters and blogs. And it's yeah. a way that those two have kind of combined in a way to communicate to people. Yeah. You would subscribe to a person's yeah. Substack. Yeah. So, you know, the stuff that he's doing is just great. And then um, I'm a big fan of, of Ian Harbour, who's also on Twitter. He works with a company called Truth Over Tribe. But like I told you, I tend to every step forward is evangelistic, reaching new people, that sort of a thing. And he's just doing some great, great work around de-churching as well. Okay. But it's also inside of the conversation streams of those two people, you'll begin to find just tons of folks that you can learn from inside of there. Yeah. Especially if you are in what has been a traditionally Bible Belt area, I encourage you to be to looking into the de-churching and nuns thing, because folks like me in California, we've been dealing with it for quite a while. Um, obviously, if you're in California, look it up too. But it's just hitting uh, the Bible Belt in a way that we've been dealing with for ten to twenty years in yeah. post-Christian areas like California, Canada, um, you know, the Pacific Northwest, the Northeast, and so on. There's some catching up to do if you're in Bible Belt. Stop refusing to acknowledge it. Refusing to acknowledge it will make it go away. No, it doesn't fix it. You got to become conversant in it so you know how to deal with it. So that's my advice to my Bible Belt friends to approach it that way. So number three lightning round question is turning into a longer than a lightning round, but man, great stuff. This is really good. Uh, what's the best piece of ministry advice you've ever received? So I got this from a mentor years and years and years ago uh, when I was in a supervised ministry in seminary, working in a local church. And it was this, is nothing good happens in the office. Hmm. And he would actually shut the church Wi-Fi down after lunch. Interesting. <laughs> he put the modem in his office because he's like, you have to be with people. Yeah. And it was where I learned not just to regardless of what the role is, to be in public, to be in presence, to be incarnated in the community is a value that I learned when I was, I think I was 28 when that happened. So I've been right. pushing this now for 15 years. 
So it's so it's just that like nothing good happens in the office. <laughs> now, granted, we write sermon. Good stuff happens yeah, in the church yeah. office, but it's just this perspective to always be out. It provokes the thoughts you need provoked. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right, last one. What's the funniest or weirdest thing you've ever seen in church? I thought about this. I've seen a lot of wild stuff in church. I mean, between growing up as a preacher's <laughs> kid and then being in ministry. Also, and I'll say the weirdest thing ever, and I feel horrible about this because I was the one who did the weird thing. Um, but I was at Ginghamsburg UMC, a large method, multi-site Methodist church up in Ohio, several years back as part of like a learning cohort. And we ended up a, a bat showed up in the worship space during worship. Oh, yeah, that'll that, that'll catch your attention. That'll change things. And, you know, we're all trying to take care of it. And the campus pastor was a good friend of mine who actually worked with at the church where the pastor turned the Wi-Fi off. And he was now part of their leadership team and the senior pastor of the church. The current senior pastor was there. And then the senior pastor who'd been there for 25 years, who was leading the thing, was also there. And there's like 300 folks, 400 folks in the room. It's a multicultural church. People are really flipping out because of the bat. And the, mm-hmm. the former lead pastor, who's now the pastor emeritus, said, let Chad catch it. He's a redneck. <laughs> and I ended up half, yeah, like, and I ended uh, up, and I ended up actually killing this bat when we were trying to get it out of the church. And so I thought about it, I was like, you know, I think the time I killed a bat in the middle of service was probably, like, it was an unintentional kill. I love the let, I think that let was Chad it. do it. He's a redneck. That to me is the funnest part oh, of the whole thing. I mean, he hollered. I mean, I did not, I knew like three <laughs> people in the room and he hollered out, let Chad catch it. He's a redneck. And he might have made a joke uh, about me trying to eat it or something, but yeah, like, that's hilarious. Yeah, Mike Slaughter, my friend. I'm just it set the reputation there. That's kind of my wildest is the bat incident. That's great. I love it. Hey, uh, if people want to follow up with you on anything, what's the best way to find you online? So I'm on all the socials at Rev Chad Brooks and then uh, RevChadBrooks.com. Dot com, yeah. And that's where you can find the productive pastor and the other stuff. But, you know, really I'm on socials at Rev Chad Brooks. Yeah. Terrific. Hey, appreciate this, Chad. We are going to move it uh, over to the bonus material. We're going to talk about this really interesting, fascinating way that you have of taking a look at uh, how we designate church size that I think will be really helpful. So if anybody wants to uh, watch that, it's on it's, a, it's on the private channel on YouTube, but you can get it by simply subscribing and getting the newsletter every week at carlvaders.com slash subscribe. Uh, thanks for your time on this podcast, and we'll see you in a minute on the bonus material. Thanks, Chad. Thanks, Carl. Honor to be here. Yes, folks, church size matters. It does. But boy, are the rules about size and attendance changing a lot and fast. So here are my two key takeaways from this really fascinating interview, which I hope it was for you. It certainly was for me. First of all, that main weekend service you have, typically Sunday morning, but whether it's Saturday night or Sunday afternoon, your main weekend service may no longer be the best gauge of how many people you're actually pastoring. And even though we knew it was certain percentages before, the percentages have shifted a lot, and we've got some work to do to figure out how many people we're actually pastoring. My second takeaway is the good news, which is that there are ways to gauge how many people you're actually pastoring, and as Chad explained to us, that actually measure things that matter more than simple attendance. This episode was produced by Veronica Beaver. It was edited by Phil Vaders. Original theme music was written and performed by Jack Wilkins of jackwilkinsmusic.com. The graphic design is by Solomon Joy. And me, I'm Carl Vaders, and I hope to talk with you again in the church lobby.